We're continuing our, our trek through Exodus. Uh, now we come to Exodus 20, verses 1 through 11. The Word of God endures forever. It is eternal, unchanging, perfect. So let us uh, surrender ourselves now to His Word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or in earth below or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Let us go before God and ask Him in prayer to bless this word to us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for how you have given it to us throughout the ages. Lord, may you help us to surrender ourselves to what you have to say. Guide us and illumine it to us by your spirit that we may rejoice, that we may see all that you have done for us, and that we may be convicted and empowered by your spirit to love you with the love you have loved us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So one of our practices as a church body uh, has been to read the Law of God every week. And so if you've been here for a little while, uh, you're hopefully pretty familiar with the Ten Commandments because that's typically what we read every week. So we've been going through them for a long time. Hopefully you know the Ten Commandments uh, pretty well. But now, because we've come to the Ten Commandments uh, throughout all the book of Exodus, we've been trekking through it. Now, hopefully, you have a much more complete context for the Ten Commandments. Because the entire book of Exodus has been leading up to this point where God creates a covenant with Israel. This covenant that He creates, a covenant is a, is a legal bond, is binding. It has consequences, it has blessings, it is a relationship, it is uniting two people, two parties in a legal bond that drives and flourishes the relationship. So in Exodus 19, has already introduced us to this covenant. Because God says in Exodus 19, Obey my voice, and you will be my treasured possession. And Israel responds and says, All that the Lord has said, we will do. Boom, now you got a covenant. All right, God says, do this and live. Israel says, okay. But what exactly was Israel to do? All right, God says, obey my voice. So what did God say? And now we get Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. These Ten Commandments are the foundation of Israel's relationship to God. Because in them, God tells Israel what kind of people he wants them to be. 
And to put it in short, God wants his people to be like him. God wants his people to think like him. To want the same things as him. To imitate him in all that they think, say, and do. Which means that when we look at the Ten Commandments, when we look at everything God has ever told us to do, all the commandments of God, He never tells us to do anything He's not willing to do Himself. Because these commandments, they reveal Him. Who He is, His character, and who we are to be in response. So if you're to boil down these first four commandments... Which, are, which we're looking at today, the first four commandments down to one sentence, it would be this. Serve God with all of your mind, with all of your heart, and with all of your life. And why are we to do this? Why are we to serve God with all of our mind, and with all of our heart, and with all of our life? Because God has served you. God has served you, so serve him. That's where we're going today. That the Lord your God has served you, so serve him with all of your mind, heart, and life. That's where we're going today. But let's remember this context. Let's remember everything that we've been talking about and leading up to, especially in chapter 19. Because, don't forget... God is speaking out of a dense cloud of fire and lightning and and thunder. And there's this voice that's shredding the mountain to bits. Speaking louder than even these trumpets that that are ripping the air. So this isn't, hey guys, don't have other gods, okay? This is God saying, don't have other gods. Out of this voice of thunder and lightning and fire and power. God is declaring, the Lord God is declaring His will and His purpose. And notice the first thing that God declares, the first thing that this voice of thunder says, I am Lord. In verse 2, I am Lord. And Lord is in all caps in your Bible because that's God's name. That's the name that he revealed to Moses in the burning bush in chapter 3. And his name has meaning and power. His name is Yahweh. And he, Yahweh, is the self-existent, all-knowing God who created all things, who defeated Pharaoh and all the Egyptian gods. He defeated them. He turned creation itself against Egypt. When he speaks, the mountains tremble in fear. When he wills something to happen, it happens. He is holy, dwelling in unapproachable light. He is Yahweh. But he's also... The God who remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God who heard his people groaning and crying out. And who remembered his covenant with them. And he knew them. He is Yahweh. He is the God who brought Israel out of Egypt on eagles' wings. Who brought them to himself. He is Yahweh. He is the God who keeps covenant forever. He is Yahweh. 
All of this is contained in the name of God. And we're not even getting started. All of that is just scratching the surface of what His name means. But the craziest part of this verse, the craziest part of verse 2 is not even Him saying, I am Yahweh. And everything that that means. The craziest part is he says, I am Yahweh, your God. I am your God. This God, the one who split the Red Sea, the King of the earth, the Lord of hosts, the one who arrives in trumpets and thunder and lightning, he's yours. And what that means is that he is on your side. (laughs) Thank goodness, right? Imagine if you were on the opposite side of God. We know what that's like because we've seen it throughout Exodus. We've seen what happens when someone opposes Yahweh. Because look at Pharaoh. Look at Egypt. That's what happens when you oppose him. When he is not on your side. But the flip side of that is look what happens when he is on your side. The rest of verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This means that all of God's power, all of his glory, all of his providence, all of his promises, everything that he is, who he is, all of it is directed towards you to bless you. To serve you. To bring you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery. And he did all of this because he is faithful. Because he made a promise. He made a promise to Abraham. And he uses all that he is, all of his power, all of his resources to serve Israel. And when God brought Israel out of Egypt, there were no strings attached. Right? There were no prior commitments required. God didn't say, hey, I'm going to rescue you out of Israel so long as you promise to do this. No, he said, I'm going to bring you out. And then he did. No strings attached. And in fact, God will say this in Deuteronomy, but Israel didn't deserve it either. There was nothing in Israel that God should have saved, right? They didn't do anything special. They weren't special people. God says in Deuteronomy, it's not because you were the mightiest. It's not because there was a lot of you. It's not because you were righteous. And so you're asking, so why? Why would God serve Israel? A bunch of slaves, tiny people, insignificant. God says, I brought you out because I love you. Yahweh is your God who serves you and who loves you. So everything that the Lord does in Exodus, as we saw how he led Israel, we see constantly how he serves not just slaves. He serves Israel even though they are stubborn, dumb, And rebellious. How many times does Israel grumble? And yet, what does God do? 
He parts the Red Sea for them. They grumble and say, well, we don't have bread. He gives them bread from his own heavenly table. They say, well, we don't have meat. He gives them meat. They say, we don't have water. And God, it's your fault. And they put God on trial for not giving them water. They accuse God and try to initiate a court case against him. And he lets it happen. He lets them put him on trial. And the rock was struck. And water flowed. And the rock was Christ. We have seen how God has served Israel many, many times, despite all of their grumbling, despite all of their, uh, their failures. And now he has brought them to himself. So everything that they now are to be, everything they are to do, all of it is to be shaped by how God has already served them. Because these commandments of this passage are shaped by how God has served them. They reveal the will of Yahweh, the God who serves His people, which means that these commandments are not just written on a whim. God isn't just saying, these seem good. Sure, why not? He's saying, these are the commandments. My words to you, they reveal my will for you, who I want you to be in response to me. And these first four commandments reveal that He is the only true God who serves His people. These first four commandments call His people to serve Him with all of their minds, all of their hearts, all of their life. So let's look at these commandments. What is, how does the Lord call His people to serve them with, his mind, with their minds? The first commandment is this. You shall have no other gods before me. That's verse 3. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And I've heard, um, I've heard some people say that this commandment means put God first, which is, is not completely horrible. Um, but we get there in English because when you read before me, we think, well, that means you got your food before I did. Right? That means I let you go first. You went before me. You got food, so I'm serving you. Right? We think that it means just put God at the top of the list. That's what this means. That's not what the Lord is saying. He's not saying, it's cool to have a bunch of other gods as long as I'm at the top. Because before me, here, it means more like against me. Or in opposition to me. You shall have no other gods in opposition to me. And the thing is, because he is Yahweh the creator of all things, the only true God, any other God at all is automatically opposed to him. So that means not just put God first, it means nobody else. Because any other God that we worship, any other God that we have in our lives is automatically opposed to the one true God. So loving the Lord with your mind, it means two things. To love the Lord with your mind means you must know who He is. And you must trust Him. So often we think, as long as we reject external gods, we have loved the Lord. But how can you love the one that you don't know? 
like saying, well, I've rejected all the women, so therefore I am loving my wife. But you never talk to her. You never seek to get to know her. You never spend time with her. Are you loving your wife? No, it's, it's not just turning away from other gods. This commandment is saying to love the Lord with your mind means pursuing Him. Knowing Him. And how do you come to know God? Read your Bible and pray every day. It's not complicated. That doesn't mean it's easy. I think all of us in this room would confess that we have not been faithful with our Bible reading. We've not been faithful with our prayers. The busyness of life gets in the way. We let it get in the way. Other distractions come up when we're trying to pray. As soon as you sit down to pray, there's eight things that pop in your mind. Oh, I've got to do this. Oh, I've got to do that. Sometimes you can't even get your thoughts to sit down and sit still to pray. It's hard. But God says, if you want to love me, you must know me. If you want to know me, you must read my word. And you must talk to me. And if you're finding it particularly hard to do these two things, it's, you probably have another God in your life that is opposed to him. But loving the Lord with your mind also means consciously trusting and depending upon Him daily. You and I, we depend upon a lot of things. We depend upon a lot of things. We depend upon food, water, sleep, your morning cup of coffee, your mid-morning cup of coffee, and don't even talk to me until I've had my 4 p.m. cup of coffee. I'm being a little sarcastic, but we depend upon these things, right? We think that we can't live without them. But when we depend upon things that are not God, we have put up another God in opposition to Him. But you may say, well, but I need food. I need water. I need sleep. What, is, how do you, what does this mean? And yes, you do need these things, but there's a difference between needing something and depending upon something. A sick person needs medicine but they depend upon the doctor to give it to them. You need food, but you must depend upon God to give it to you. And not just to give it to you, but to give you in the right amount, at the right time, in the right way. Depending upon the Lord means trusting Him and believing with your whole mind that He will supply everything that you need today. And we've seen this in how He has loved Israel. When God gave Israel manna in the wilderness, they need food. And so He gives it to them. But in order to teach them dependence, He only gives them enough for one day at a time. So that they can never store it up. So that they can never say, I can depend upon my storehouse instead of the Lord today. God wants us to depend upon Him. To trust Him. That's what it means to love Him with your mind. To have no other gods before Him. But we're also called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. This is what the second commandment's about. 
Verse 4, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them because I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the, th- to the, third, to, on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So in this commandment, the Lord forbids making idols or images of anything at all for the purpose of worshiping or serving them. Right? You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Because remember, we're called to serve God. But why? In this commandment in particular, God tells us why. In verse 5, he says, Don't bow down to them, don't serve them, for I, the Lord your God... I'm a jealous God. A plainer way of putting this, or, or in two ways, then he tells us how is he a jealous God? How is his jealousy worked out? First is that he visits the iniquity of the fathers to the children of the third and fourth generation. He also shows his jealousy by showing steadfast love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So a plainer way of putting this is that the Lord is jealous. And so he calls the guilt of the fathers to account upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. This reveals God's heart. This reveals what God loves. He loves righteousness. And he hates sin. He will not let sin go unpunished because he is a jealous God. And not in the sense that we would think of someone who's, who's jealous and, and green with envy. But God is jealous, meaning he is faithful to his own character. He cannot abide by his character being infringed. He cannot let sin go unpunished because he is just. And his justice demands that justice be fulfilled. And so whatever we make of, of children being called to account for their father's sins, however we want to interpret that, what's clear is that God's jealousy is driving this. But his jealousy drives him in the opposite direction as well. In verse 6, But showing steadfast love to thousands of generations of those who love me. The Lord's heart is such that he cannot let sin go unpunished because that would be unjust. But it also means that he delights. He delights to bless those who love him. And the blessings that he pours out are far greater than the judgment for sin. Because notice the extent of his punishment for sin. Four generations. What's the extent of God's blessing? Thousands of generations. God's heart is that he loves to bless more than he loves to judge. So who are you and I to be in response to the God who has served us, who has loved us, who has blessed us? Well, we are to worship him and not worship idols. And you might ask, well, what does that have to do with God's heart? Well, it's simple. Worship shapes your heart. 
Worship shapes your heart. The more you worship Yahweh, the more your heart will become like His. The more you will value the things He values, the more you will love the things He loves, the more you worship Him, the more you will love Him. But the reverse is also true. The more you worship an idol, the more you will become like that idol. The more you worship money, you will become more and more greedy. Worship sex, and you'll become more lustful. Worship comfort, and you will only become more discontent. And that's not what the Lord wants for us. He wants us to be like Him. And so He tells us, worship me so that you can be like me. Worship me so that you can have the heart that I have, a heart that loves to bless, a heart that is generous and merciful, a heart that serves. God serves others. God loves righteousness. God is slow to anger. And so, the more we worship God, the more we will become like Him in His heart. We will love the things He loves. We will become like Him, quick to bless and slow to anger, quick to forgive and slow to hate, quick to be generous and slow to hold back. And this is only because God has done this for you. This is how God has loved you. So love Him the same way. And lastly, you are called to love the Lord your God with all of your life. Because inevitably, what you believe and what you love will come out in what you do. The things you believe and trust in and the things that you love and desire will come out in the things that you do. Or to use a biblical picture, if you want to know what kind of tree you're looking at, look at the fruit. If you want to know what kind of person this person is, how do they talk? Because out of the mouth, the heart speaks. How do they act? Is it driven by dependence upon the Lord or driven by selfishness? Is it driven by serving God and serving others or is it driven by serving self? If you want to know what someone believes about God, look at how they treat others. And this is what the third and fourth commandment are about. You shall not, this is verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain, and remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Both of these commandments are about how your life must be conformed to, to your beliefs and your trust in God and in having his heart. The third commandment, often we think this is primarily about how we talk. And it's true, it does affect how we talk. But primarily, it's about how you live. It's about the flavor of your life. Was it, how's it taste? How's it feel? How's your life reflect God? Because if you claim to be a Christian, and your life doesn't reflect God's name... You have taken it up in vain. 
how you live is going to be shaped by everything we just talked about. What do you believe about God? Who do you believe He is? What do you believe His name means? That will shape how you live. If you believe that God is merciless and mean and distant, that's probably how you're going to live. If you believe that God's heart is, is selfish at its core, that God is, is vindictive and judgmental, that is going to be your heart. Because what you're really doing is you're taking his name in vain and serving an idol. But when your heart and your mind are conformed to the God who has served you, that will come out in your life. When you believe and trust that your salvation depends not upon your works, but upon a God who has served you before you ever did anything at all, that will come out in how you live. And the fourth commandment makes it pretty clear that rest is one of the ways it comes out. That we are to keep the Sabbath day holy because God worked for six days and then rested on the seventh. So we rest because God worked. We rest in the God who has served us in what He has done. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So when we work on the Sabbath day, what we're really revealing is that we don't trust God. We're not resting in Him. And when we live in such a way that we live selfishly, we live for our own comfort, that reflects back upon God. You're saying to the watching world that this is what God's like. I am a Christian, and I live for my own comfort. The watching world will say, well, God must live for his own comfort too. But as we've seen today, that's a lie. About God. Does God live for his own comfort? Does God serve himself? No. Even though he deserves everything you have to give, first he gives to you. Remember how I said in the beginning? The Lord never commands you to do anything he's not willing to do himself. Look at the life of Jesus. God incarnate. And tell me what you see. When did Jesus ever live for his own comfort? When did Jesus ever serve himself? Never. Jesus was gracious. He was slow to anger. He was quick to forgive. He never faltered from his mission on this earth, which was to serve you. Jesus has served you with all of his mind, with all of his heart, and with all of his life, literally. Jesus served you up until his dying breath. And how did he serve you? Jesus served you by taking upon himself 
your guilt. And God visited, visited it upon him. God called Jesus to account for your sins so that you may forever be pronounced not guilty. But the crazy thing is that Jesus didn't stop there, even though that would be more than enough. Jesus died for your sins, but he was then raised to give you his righteousness. That means that through Jesus Christ, you are now righteous. It's as if you have always kept God's commandments, because Jesus always kept his com- the commandments. And he gives that righteousness to you, free of charge. And as we saw in the commandments today, in verse 6, God shows steadfast love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so if Jesus' righteousness is yours, and you have, through him, always kept God's commandments, when will God's steadfast love ever depart from you? Never. Never will God's steadfast love depart from you because he has served you by dying for your sins and coming back to life for your righteousness. And this is all free of charge. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to pay it back. All you can do is in the face of a God who has served you with all that he has, is you can turn around then and serve him with all that you have. If Christ has served you with all of his mind and heart and life, serve him with all of yours. Not in fear, but in gratitude for the gift that you've been given through Jesus Christ. And as we come this morning to the supper to this table that God has set before us, we see that, yet again, Christ has served us. Because here, the bread and the wine, Jesus says, are my body and bread broken for you. To serve you, Jesus died. And that's what the supper will seal this morning. So I'd like to invite the elders forward so that we can receive this gift of grace. Father, we thank you again for this gift of grace, how you serve us. You bring us, Lord, food and water in the wilderness. You care for our every need. Please teach us, Lord, how to trust you and depend upon you. Mold our hearts so that we would love the things you love, that we would be like you. Mold our lives, Lord that everything that we think, say, and do would be conformed to the image of Jesus, that our lives would show the fruit of the faith and the heart that you have given us. Lord, teach us these things. Help us to look to Jesus when we fail, to look to you and all that you have done for us as the strength to keep going. Glory be to you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.